Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment two, we'll bring you the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. What a nice World Series for Fox. Shaped up into a very nice World Series. We'll cover that in segment two. Segment three, Tom Haberstrow from ESPN.com and TrueHoop.com. He wrote a really interesting story this week that wanted to bring him on to discuss. It's called The Payroll and Competitive Balance Myth in the NBA. Just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean that you necessarily win championships and are able to keep elite players. He wrote some interesting facts and figures. We'll talk to him about that in segment three. Segment four, Dan Wetzel, our friend from Yahoo Sports, also co-author of the book Death to the BCS. There's an updated and revised version of Death to the BCS. Some really interesting new facts and figures around the BCS. We'll catch up with Dan Wetzel in Segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow us on Twitter. You can find those icons on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm at SB Radio. Brian Griggs is at BGrizzle22. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. Just really uh, enjoying the World Series, man. It's been fun seeing uh, two teams that aren't necessarily there all the time and uh, playing fun, fun offensive ball. It's been great. Well, and as we'll talk in the next segment, Fox and Major League Baseball needed this because it's not the Yankees. It's not the Red Sox. It's not a big market World Series, but what gets people watching is competition. And there's been some really competitive, compelling games and uh, that's going to be a, a ratings recipe success for Fox. All right, coming up next, it's our Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. I bet I could. I wish my heart was always on her mind. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com.
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, the World Series. It's turned into a compelling one, and it needed to for Fox because it's not a big market World Series. You've got the Dallas market, you've got the St. Louis market, and you've got markets from the middle of the country. So you needed a long competitive series, and we have that. Seven games. Anytime you can get a series, Griggs, it goes seven games. I don't care what sport it is. It's great for the sport. It's great for the TV network broadcasting it. And Game 6 was one of the more compelling signature games that we've seen in uh, World Series history. Yeah, back and forth, back and forth. The comebacks uh, multiple times for uh, the Cardinals. Uh, amazing. Yeah, it was fun to watch. And this whole series has been cool because you got two passionate fan bases. The crowds are going crazy the entire game, so you get into it. And they're both very offensive teams. So you're getting high scoring, a lot of home runs, a lot of there's an air, a lot of airs, fielding airs. So it makes it a fun game, I think, for fans. Yeah, and we've had some players uh, step up. You know, during the playoffs, freeze for the St. Louis Cardinals. And what a great story that is. He's a St. Louis kid. So, I mean, hit a walk-off in Game 6, you round the bases. Talk about a dream come true. I'm sure he's played that out in his backyard in St. Louis probably millions of times. And it, it came through in uh, Game 6. So, good for uh, Major League Baseball. And I think Bud Selig and everyone has to be very happy. Something that did happen this week that I thought was hilarious, and it's right for a sponsor opportunity. I believe it was Game 5 when Tony La Russa was trying to make the call to the bullpen and couldn't get through. It was too loud, didn't get the right pitcher. In this day and age where Major League Baseball hasn't yet embraced replay, come on, you can send a text, Griggs. You can send an email on your mobile device and get to the bullpen. You're telling me in this day and age you can't connect from the dugout to the bullpen? Give me AT&T or someone as a sponsor on that. Yeah, or I mean, heck, baseball, it's all about hand signals and touching your ear and your head. Couldn't they just throw a head signal and, oh, we got the right guy. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> I know, but it, it was just beyond me. I was like, wow, baseball in some ways is so far beyond or behind the times. But, uh you know, we'll see. Great series, and the markets are very, very excited, as you said. So I think it's been good for baseball. And here's something else about baseball that we'll talk about quickly. You know, we've seen the NFL lockout. We've seen the NBA lockout, which we'll talk about in a minute. People tell me this week that Major League Baseball is very close to their new collective bargaining agreement. And the thing that not many people have talked about is their agreement's up in December. But it sounds like in the next few weeks or so, they're going to have an announcement about their collective bargaining agreement. Griggs, how embarrassing for the NBA will it be if Major League Baseball comes out and says, hey, we didn't miss any games. We got our agreement done way before our following season. That will be more pressure on the NBA. Yeah, definitely will be. And uh, yeah, you'd think NBA would get it done before baseball, but it looks like it's flip-flopped. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I mean, kudos to Major League Baseball for playing nice and quietly working towards an agreement. It looks like they're going to reach that agreement sooner than later. Our next headline, the NBA lockout. This thing drags on and drags on. 
on Wednesday, 15 hours of meeting, second longest meeting they've had. On Thursday, seven and a half hours. Met again on Friday. And, you know, they're trying to discuss many different issues. We've talked about this ad nauseum on this show. BRI, the basketball-related income. Seems like they're tabling that and trying to address that last. They're working on system issues. Um, and we're talking length of contract, mid-level exception. They've talked about things like the amnesty provision, which basically gives the owners a get-out-of-jail-free card on their worst contract. They can wipe the contract from the books, but they have to pay the player the full amount of that contract. You've got about 60 days to do that. So all kinds of things going on. And it seems like the sweet spot is going to be in the 50 to 51% range for the players. If they can get 51% or 51.5%, that might be good enough to get a deal done. But... Griggs, if they don't make a deal early this upcoming week, forget an 82-game season. They're still talking about the possibility of an 82-game season. That's not going to happen if you don't get a deal done this week. A lot of people have asked me this question. They need about a month from the time they sign the agreement until they'd be able to start the season, to have a very abbreviated training camp, get the guys together and in shape, do some media days and things like that. They need about 30 days. So back that up. We need an agreement. Early next week. Yeah, I just I, I don't see an 82 game season either because it's just there's some preparation, like you said, that has to go into getting these guys ready. But back to the meetings too. These I mean these guys are going to need a vacation after these meetings. 16 hours sitting in there. I mean it's not like they're talking about fun stuff either. Well, and I love it's David crazy. Stern at his press conference. By the way, latest press conference I've ever seen. 3 a.m. Eastern time yeah. on Thursday morning, and everyone looked pretty alert. I was impressed. But David Stern, I love his comment how he said last Thursday when I went home sick, everything kind of went sideways, so I needed to get back here. And it's kind of true. When he wasn't there, things went sideways. So, you know, the two sides got together again this week without the mediator, George Cohen, and I give them credit for that. Our last headline of the week, the NCAA Board of Directors at the Division One level adopted new legislation giving student-athletes who receive full athletic scholarships the opportunity to receive additional athletic aids up to the full cost of attendance or $2,000, whichever is less. This is interesting, Griggs, because what most people don't know is there are many student-athletes who get the tuition and many of their costs paid for, but there's still this you know, two $3,000 gap that exists, so it's not actually a full ride. It's almost a full ride, but it's not a full ride. This new legislation will likely uh, fix that, and I think it's a good one. And we're trying to get uh, President Emmert from the NCAA to join us in the next few weeks here on the show. We can talk more about it. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, because yeah, if it's a full ride, it should be a full ride, and they should be able to take care of the student, you know, to the full potential. So I think it's a good legislation. I think it'll, it'll work well, and as long as it's regulated, obviously, and they they follow it and follow the the guidelines, then I think it, it's going to work well. All right, coming up next, it's Tom Haberstroh from ESPN.com. He writes for the True Hoop blog. Really interesting piece on the payroll and competitive balance myth in the NBA. We'll address that with Tom Haberstroh from ESPN.com. Coming up next, I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. I knew this was hard to
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. I want to go out to the phone line right now. I was reading online yesterday, and I, I visit ESPN.com frequently. Truehoop.com really like their writers and their stories. They cover the NBA very, very well. Tom Haberstrow wrote a really terrific piece on the payroll and competitive balance myth that exists. Tom, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Brian? I'm doing really well. This article that you wrote yesterday, I thought, really dispelled many of the myths that we've heard about from not only Commissioner Stern, but from people who work for sports teams in the NBA for for years. Give our audience kind of the crux of your story if they didn't have a chance to read it. Well, basically, I looked at how the the relationship between payroll and wins, how strong it is. I, I been a skeptic uh, for a few years now. Wasn't so sure that the best spent, the highest spending teams are actually winning the most. I mean, we just watched the New York Knicks just toil in mediocrity for five, ten years, and they were always the highest spending team. And so I really put it to the test. And one of the things that David Stern has been saying during the lockout is that the Lakers, with their $110 million payroll, cannot, uh, or they just can't. Um, they just beat up on the little guys like the Sacramento Kings, who only spent $45 million. And I just don't think that's true when you look at the facts. Yeah, and you brought up the Magic spent $110 million last season. The Bulls only shelled out $55 million, but the Bulls had a much better season than the Magic did. So one of the things you talk about in your story is winning the draft. If you win the draft, the trend is you're going to build a successful team and you've got a successful front office that's going to help you win games over the long term, right? Right, and and David Stern is trying to legislate an engine for competitive balance by instituting a hard cap, uh, which in his mind will um, give everyone a, a fair shot. But really, he already has an engine. It's the draft. And if we see terrible teams um, just resurrect their franchise overnight because they draft uh, LeBron James, they draft a Chris Paul, Tim Duncan, Dwayne Wade, uh, you name it, the way to turn around your franchise is to be smart with your draft picks and be very careful about throwing big money at free agents. It's it's a really tough way to go to the top, and no one has really accomplished it um, by by going outside the draft. So it's it's absolutely imperative. It's how the Oklahoma City Thunder got to the conference finals last year. Um, they spent fifty five million dollars, and yet they almost went to the title. And the three out of the four uh, conference finalists had below average payrolls. So most of them have been able to do it by hitting home runs on draft night. 
Well, the other thing that Commissioner Stern's been talking about is the last, I think, four NBA champions have been big market teams, but you point out the five previous were small market teams. Exactly, and and you just really have to move the endpoints. Uh, if you look at the last four, you're going to just say, of course. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Boston Celtics, how do, how do teams compete with that? Um, they're, they're spending like crazy. But then you look at the San Antonio Spurs, who won three titles in the past decade, and then you have the Detroit Pistons and the Miami Heat, who are far from huge markets. And the, here's, here's the interesting thing, Brian, is – David Stern is saying, or his implication is that spending causes winning. But really, winning causes spending. The Cleveland Cavaliers weren't spending until they got LeBron James. And it made sense from a management standpoint to start building around him and start adding to the payroll, but because they had a great draft pick to build around. We're joined by Tom Haberstroh of ESPN.com. You know, something that you didn't address in the story, and I wanted to ask you about, one of the big concerns of the owners in the league right now is, all right, we become a good team, I've got my stud player, and whether it's LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, maybe Dwight Howard in the future, they leave to go to that bigger market. I've talked about using a franchise tag like the NFL does to keep those big names, those franchise players from hopping around to go play super friends in Miami like you've got going on right now. What do you do about that situation? Well, you have to remember that LeBron James was with the with the Cleveland Cavaliers for seven years. Uh, Kevin Durant, uh, one of the most talented, uh, highest ceilings players of, the, of our generation, just locked up uh, an extension to stay with the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is the most, uh, as, as far as, as NBA markets go, it's the, it's the boonies. Um, and yet you have the biggest, one of the biggest stars in the NBA wanting to stay in a small market, um, not a huge metropolis city. So what you, what you begin to see is that you have to build a franchise that a te- the player wants to come back to. And the reason why LeBron James didn't go back to Cleveland was as much about you know, going to South Beach and living that, that lifestyle and playing for you know, Pat Riley and playing with his two friends. But really, he just didn't think that the organization in Cleveland had done enough to bring that championship um, I mean, the, the, his best player that he ever played with was Antoine Jameson, Mo Williams. I mean, that's not going to be, that's not going to cut it for a player who wants to win championships. So it has to do with management as well as it has to do with the city that you play for. Well, that's a good point. And the other case of that is Tim Duncan. He had several chances to leave San Antonio, but he didn't because he felt like he was part of a championship caliber organization, right? Right. And the thing with the Spurs is they're, they're the perfect model for David Stern to say, hey, look, you can compete in the NBA, and you don't need a bunch of lottery picks to do it. They had one shot. They got Tim Duncan. Yeah, they might have lucked into Tim Duncan. But they got Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, like, in the second round. I think they got Tony Parker at 28 and Manu Ginobili in the second round. Those are two all-stars, basically the core of their championship uh, run, and they only – picked in the lottery like once and they're still doing it now with Thiago Splitter and Dewan Blair both guys in the last in the in the second round they're still doing it and teams are like well how can we compete well focus your energy towards the draft because you can get a top flight player and you don't have to pay him that much because of the rookie scale so it sounds like the moral of the story is 
draft well, build a championship caliber team, and your players are going to want to stay and win championships and be a part of that. If you don't show them during their time, even if you drafted well, that you are a championship caliber team, a la Cleveland with LeBron James, maybe Orlando with Dwight Howard, maybe New Orleans with Chris Paul, then you could lose those players. Exactly. And this isn't about uh, small markets or big, big city lights. This is about management. And with any business, you want to make your, your employees happy. And with LeBron James, Cleveland did a lot to make him happy. But ultimately, talent speaks above everything. I mean, when you have your best player being the likes of Antoine Jameson and Mo Williams, like I said, it just speaks volumes about how serious they are to winning a championship. They had a chance to trade for Amari Stoudemire um, at the trade deadline, but instead they went with Antoine Jameson because they didn't want to give up J.J. Hickson. Now, if you're LeBron James and you're looking at management trying to build a championship, what does that say to you? That they're not very serious about it. So it's, it's, it's as much about New York and L.A. markets, but it's, it's, it's more to do with the management. You have to be smart, just like in any other business. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, you point out some interesting things in your in your piece, but just because you pick at the top of the draft doesn't mean that you're always going to be you know, a winning team after that. We've seen some teams do well. We've seen some teams do not so well. I'm here in Portland, and you know, so far, Greg Oden has not panned out, and think about what if they would have taken Kevin Durant. You also, like you pointed out, have seen the gems that the Spurs took and you know the Lakers got Andrew Bynum a little bit later they took Kobe Bryant or they made the deal for him a little bit later so you could be smart drafting and still build a really championship caliber team right yeah you basically it's not enough just to pick first I mean the worst drafting teams uh in in the past decade have also been a lot of teams who have just been very um it took for granted where they were picking. I mean, the Washington Wizards set their franchise back like five, six years by picking Kwame Brown. I mean, the Los Angeles Clippers, Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, Charlotte Bobcats, those teams have been picking near the top for the last decade, and they've been striking out routinely. Now, a team that hasn't struck out, the New Orleans Hornets, they picked Chris Paul at number four when the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks picked Marvin Williams ahead of them. And Basically, the Hornets built a perennial playoff team from that number four pick. And they picked David West at 18, another multiple all-star at 18. And those two players essentially were the cornerstones of their franchise all through the draft. So it's not enough just to be in the top ten. It's not enough to be at number one. As you saw with you know Greg Oden and the Portland Trailblazers, there's, there's a lot of risk. And I don't think it's entirely a bad decision um, by Portland to pick Greg Oden, but it just goes to show how important those draft picks are because you know if it's Kevin Durant, it could be, you know, title contention right now. As painful as it is to hear it for uh, Portland fans, that's the truth. Last question for you. How do you see things playing out? I'm sure you've been following the negotiations closely, and the small market owners seemingly want to have an economic shift in the league. They want that hard cap that we talked about earlier in the conversation. Do you think the league will go to a hard cap system? And if they do, how does that affect the balance of the league going forward? I mean, I imagine there's no more super friends in Miami if there's a hard cap. You can't afford to keep those three players. Well, luckily for Pat Riley, they've moved off. The hardline owners have moved off the proposition for of a hard cap. But instead, they're proposing a flex cap 
and a super punitive luxury tax um, soft cap. So essentially, they said, all right, well, we'll concede. We won't do a hard cap, but uh, we'll propose a soft cap when really it is a hard cap in disguise. So basically, if you pay over a certain amount of money, you have to pay upwards of five times for every dollar. So if you pay $71 million um, above a 60 cap, uh, $60 million cap, you're paying 11 times five above that. Um, so that's $55 million worth of tax. So essentially it's going to function as a hard cap. Now what it means for the Miami Heat is they can't have three $18 million contracts on their books if they want to contend. They're going to be broken up. Um, and the, the Players Association is vehemently against this. They, they, think it, they call it a blood issue. Um, and, it, and it would basically knock out the middle class of the NBA because then you would only be able to afford to pay a, uh, a superstar at max money, like $18 million, and then fill your roster out with a bunch of league minimums because you just can't, you physically can't go above you know, the $50 million cap or the $60 million cap. So it would really shake things up. And I think that's terrible for the league. Some people disagree with me, but I think every league needs some super teams. In baseball, you've got the Yankees and the Red Sox. You've got the Cowboys and the Patriots in football. In basketball, you've got the Celtics and the Lakers and the Heat. They draw interest. They draw the casual fan. And I think if you just make everyone the same across the board, I don't know that that's so good for your league and especially the business of the league, the TV ratings and merchandise sales and things like that. Tom, I really appreciate you making time to join. How can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, my handle is Tom Haberstro, H-A-B-E-R-S-T-R-O-H. I'm at Twitter, and you can find me at ESPN.com. Fantastic stuff. Really enjoyed this conversation and your story yesterday. And now uh, let's have you on again soon. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. Stay in the know at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back, and my guest right now on the phone is Dan Wetzel. He's the co-author of the book Death to the BCS. He's a writer for Yahoo Sports. Dan, how are you? I am uh, terrific, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. I always enjoy talking to you and uh, especially enjoyed your book, Death to the BCS. You wrote the original version about a year ago, and uh, you've got some updates to the book. What's new in the book? Well, the, we were lucky. The book was selling. It continued to sell. We, we went through five printings. So there was an audience for people trying to find out why do we really have the BCS, go past the talking points and the PR spin. You know, our book really followed the money. It had gone through the, the 
television contracts and the bowl tax records and the conference deals and all the different stuff and kind of gave a different view of the whole thing, peeled it all apart and found the truth and who's making money off this and who isn't. And so I was like, hey, there was talk maybe we put an extra chapter in, but I was like, if people are still buying it, I, I hate seeing people buy an a, a old book. You don't want to buy a book that feels a year old. So if the publisher was going to let us update it, then we wanted to update it. And then you had uh, a, a huge scandal involving the Fiesta Bowl, which not only was a, on its face a big scandal, but opened up a tremendous amount of information that we had never seen because they did this big internal investigation and made it public. So we have a couple new chapters. We also have better interviews with more people came out. We have better data. It's really updated throughout the book. So it's if, you, if you're still interested in how the heck we have the BCS, you're not going into a bookstore buying an older book. You're getting as fresh of a book as you can in college athletics, which understandably changes at the speed of Twitter. Well, the thing I really like about the book is that you don't just rip on the system. You offer solutions, concrete solutions. And, you know, I'm wondering, Dan, how has all of the conference realignment and everything that's taken place in the last year affected the long-term future of the BCS? Well, it's affected everything. And it's it's really the BCS in a lot of ways that's driving it. Because when you talk to conference commissioners, it's such a, or you, uh, athletic directors and presidents, it's, it's a destabilizing force in college athletics because everybody – has to have that automatic qualifying status. And that's why you see every one of the reasons you see most of these teams moving, because they're fearful their league won't have it, namely the Big East. When Syracuse University, which founded the Big East and has prospered in the Big East and is probably synonymous with the Big East, bails on it solely because they're not sure it'll have an AQ status in the future, that's the BCS destabilizing it. Now, how, where college football goes, I mean, the BCS makes less sense now than it even did a year ago, and it could make less sense in a month. It was already a terrible economic deal. It was non-competitive, but when you're getting down to four or five good conferences, uh, opposed to what you really used to be eight good conferences, a good to great, now we really only have four or five, uh, it's even less likely that it, that it sticks around. But it's, it's hard to come up with a concrete plan of what you would do when everything's so fluid. I'm not sure that the 16-team plan we've offered in the past even makes sense. In the future, it may only be eight teams or something like that. But clearly, um, you know, the BCS has, has caused a, a dramatic shift in the way college sports is operated as a business uh, and can, will continue to. And, it may, again, it makes less and less sense every single day. So, Dan, when the merry-go-round stops, how many major conferences, how many BCS conferences do you see remaining? Well, I think we'll have five. Um, because the Big Ten, the Big 12 is going to stay in business until the day comes that the pack, they can go to the Pac-12. And, and really the only thing that stopped at this time was the Longhorn Network, which didn't even exist a year ago at this time. So it's, um, they wouldn't cede their TV rights in Texas. But if the Longhorn Network is not as successful as it's been projected, which is very much a possibility, once that hurdle goes, it's Texas and Oklahoma and those schools may go to the Pac-12. So that 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 league is still fragile. Um, but in the long-term health, we're talking 10 and 15 years, I don't know if it's there. But I do think in the next couple of years we'll end up with five. I think the Big East is, is essentially finished. The other leagues have been gutted to a point. You're basically the Mountain West and Conference USA have essentially combined their football operations. So there's now only 10 conferences. The Big East could go away, so it could be down to nine. Um, 
you know, just total leagues. Uh, and then I think we'll end up with, with five, you know, quote-unquote major conferences. We're joined by Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports. He's co-author of the book Death to the BCS. We talked about this last year, and you mentioned it in the book. There's no other entity in sports that contracts out its most profitable product. The NFL would never contract out the playoffs. Why in the world does Division One football continue to do this? It just makes no sense. I don't know a business that would ever so, uh, 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 subcontract out its most profitable product or outsource its most profitable product. It, it goes against all sense. Why do they do it? I don't. It's it's mind blowing. The 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 bowl directors. The, the reason you have a BCS is because there's a small group of people making money off of it. They're making a ton of money. You're running the second most popular sport in the country's postseason. It's worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And these bowl games are taking the money. It takes 50, 60, 70% of the money off the top. Particularly, at these, at the, you can make tens of millions of dollars at, if you're running the championship game. So these guys will fight like heck to, to maintain it. Now, one of the things that the Fiesta Bowl scandal I mentioned earlier showed was how much money the bowl games sprinkle around in gifts and golf, Caribbean cruises, and Scottsdale weekends, and anything... Free Security clubs. research at strip clubs. Yeah, right. <laughs> even outside of that, as bad as that was, they have the money to burn, but they send it to the ADs and the presidents. You're, everybody in college sports is on the take. And so these guys that are making this decision are taking money from taking gifts and vacations and everything you could possibly want from the bowl games that are then saying, please keep us, keep maintain our contract. The bowl directors are so much smarter than the athletic directors. It's a total whitewash. They're, 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 I, I applaud them. It's fantastic business. They're running nonprofits, quote unquote, nonprofit companies, and getting money off of basically public entities and saying, "Hey, you can." I mean, the Big Ten and the SEC on a, on January first stage three games against each other in the state of Florida, and they hand out, they probably spend 50, uh, maybe about $18 million letting someone else run those three games. They could, they could do that for a million and a half dollars. And yet these, these guys cut in on their money. It makes no sense. You can't tell me the SEC and the Big Ten don't know how to stage a football game. So it's, it's, it's mind-blowing that it goes on. But if you look at the intensity of the lobbying effort, and I, just, I always equate it to Washington. There's common-sense solutions to certain problems in Washington that everyone agrees is a problem. Hey, let's have less arsenic in our water, okay? But then there's a group that's making money off of the problem, and all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't, doesn't happen. So that's where you're at with this thing. It's, college sports is very hard to reform. Most people don't know about it. Probably the best part of the book was the people that, uh, you know, a couple dozen athletic directors called. I didn't know this. I didn't know we had this. Well, we buy. We we are forced to buy these hotel rooms. I didn't know the hotel was kicking money back to the bowl. So Mark Cuban read our book. He immediately founded a company. That said he'd raise half a billion dollars. Let me take over college sports postseason. I'll make you more money than this ridiculousness. That's how outlandish this thing is. I don't, it, it, it's guys like that. He's not doing that for any other reason than this is a money making opportunity, and it's so obvious that it's out there. Why isn't it obvious to the ads and the presidents? It's, it's mind-blowing. A lot of them it is, but uh, not enough yet. 
One of the most interesting parts of the book, I thought, was, you know, everyone hears about, oh, these teams are getting $17.5 million to come play in the game. And you break down, at the end of the day, a team like Florida in 2010, they played for the national championship. They're clearing $47,000. You've got all these ticket guarantees. So these schools are literally buying empty seats at these bowl games, and they're either breaking even or losing money. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, Florida actually it ended up only being 650. We we got the updated documents for the new book, so they made 650, which act 650 dollars. Are you kidding me? 650 dollars. But, but Auburn lost 600 thousand last year in operational cost playing in the BCS championship game. Wow. And Oregon lost 3,000, but that's only a start. If you go once you step past the title game in the Fiesta Bowl, which is between Connecticut and Oklahoma, you sign a contract that says you must sell 17,500 tickets to our game. And these are the prices for the tickets. They can go up to $225 a ticket. The game was never going to sell out. There was not enough people was ever going to buy and sell out an Oklahoma-Connecticut game in the middle of Arizona. But what they do is you're forced to buy those tickets. Well, all, if you do want to go to the game, you just go online and buy a ticket for 20 bucks. You could buy a $200 ticket. The bowl floods the market with with these seats. UConn ended up absorbing, which basically buying empty seats for the most part, $2.9 million in tickets. $2.9 million in empty seats are tickets for its band. Like, you have to pay to get your band into the game. You have to pay to get your coach's wife in the game. Nothing is for free. Oklahoma and the Big 12, $2 million in empty seats. So in a game that people didn't want to watch, $4.9 million in subsidies, basically, from public universities to a fiesta, nonprofit fiesta bowl in empty seats. It's, it's the most unbelievable contract you'll ever see, these bowl deals. But these schools have to school sign them and sign them and sign them and lose money. And then you have to pay all the travel costs to go to the game. you got to fly everyone there. you got to stay in this hotel. Oh, and that hotel we have an agreement with, and they kick back some of the money to us. Well, that's why you're at that hotel at that rate. You have to get, I mean, sometimes they demand up to 500 hotel rooms for a school to buy. Some schools don't have 500 people who are going to go. So they end up buying empty hotel rooms. Everything, the bowl people have got this system. It is unbelievable. It's genius. They've got, they're making money every single way possible. And the schools just bumble along and do it and then sit around and go, oh, but it's about the academics or it's about the multi-day bowl experience. Dude, it's about people making big cash on running college football postseason. I know you've got to run in just a few minutes. A few minutes left with Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, co-author of the book Death to the BCS. There's an updated version that you need to go out and get. Um, before I let you go, it's my understanding the TV contract for the BCS is up in, I believe, 2014. And a lot of people have said once that TV deals up, maybe we'll see some change then. Is that kind of the time period that everyone's looking at for maybe some reform? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – contracts will be torn up, but I don't think you, you'd see it. You, you're not going to see anything before that. The question is, there's certainly a major push for something else, and for a couple reasons. Um, three years ago, the, the FCC and the ACC wanted a, a four-team playoff, which is at least a start. Not a, not a, not, I didn't like the way they ran it, but it's progress. And some of the other leagues stopped it, but – the Big East was one of them. They shouldn't have. They're about to go out of business. There's a lot of schools that want something better. There's so much money, better opportunity, uh, better access. But here's the other thing. TV ratings in the regular season are down. They were down 10% last year. 
CBSs are down 18% this year. Wow. Interest in the regular season is hurt by the BCS. The BCS argues the exact opposite. But other than your one game between Alabama and LSU, which will get a huge rating, most of these games are irrelevant because you're knocked out of the title hunt. And so when you take a national a game like this weekend, Nebraska and Michigan State, has no national interest at all because no one from the Big Ten can play for the title. No one is a fact. There's no bubble watch. There's nothing. That's hurting the ratings and the, te- the television ratings in the regular season are hurt by the BCS. And if you get a playoff where all said, hey, Michigan State still has a chance or Nebraska still has a chance, someone from the Big Ten will, will get into a playoff, now that game has national appeal. So somebody in South Carolina might say, hey, I'm going to watch the game. Now it isn't, and that's why you're seeing these ratings. Double-digit losses, second year in a row. March Madness, big success. Heck, football, one double-A has a playoff, but they can't figure it out in D1. Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports, co-author of the updated and revised book, Death to the BCS. Dan, how can people get the book? Uh, you know, any bookstore, it's uh, online. We have, you know, e-books, Kindle, all of that stuff, Amazon. Um, pretty much get it anywhere, so... I appreciate the interest. Like I said, it's, it's, it's been um, – you write a book that involves a lot of tax records. You really have no idea whether people are going to like it. Uh, so it's been kind of gratifying how many people were, were interested in, in really just finding out a different take on this that's fact-based, not just the rhetoric of, you know, uh, oh, give Boise State a chance. It's, it's, it's more – it's not, that's not what the book's about. It's about, you know, really digging down on this stuff. Well, you guys do it better than anyone else, and I'm not just saying this. It's one of the most fascinating sports reads I've read in five years, so fantastic job. Hey, thank you for having me on again. I appreciate the sport. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. What doesn't kill you makes you It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. So we know there was much hype around Tim Tebow's first NFL start of the season this last Sunday in Miami. And Forbes reports that Tebow's start in Miami, and keep in mind they were honoring Tebow's Florida national championship team. Urban Meyer was there as well. 
It was worth about a million dollars, Griggs, to the Dolphins because they sold 10,000 additional tickets. You factor in the parking, the concessions, merchandise sales. It's about a million dollars. That's a big impact for one player to have. And it was on the opposing team. It was on the Dolphins. And, you know, Tebow could be that kind of an impact as a road draw going forward the rest of the season. And that's why you got to love him as, as the NFL because he does that. He gets that draw from opposing teams in different markets. And, I mean, we know his jersey's flying off the shelves. I mean, and then he comes in and played. It was a crazy game, but they end up pulling out at the end. And, you know, he's he's definitely got a good following in the NFL for sure. He doesn't win pretty, but he wins. Yeah. And that was the case last week. The guy's down 15 nothing with a little over three minutes to go in the game, and he pulls out the 18-15 win. Here's the thing that you pointed out that I think is hilarious. So we all know athletes have done planking. And Gilbert Arenas, Dwight Howard, a lot of NBA players were planking where they were like laying down on something. Earlier in the year, this was like the big trend amongst athletes. Now, Griggs, you showed me Tebowing. So it's getting down on one knee, kind of putting your forehead on your fist. It's almost like you're kneeling. But go to Tebowing.com. You can... Tebow, and then you can send your picture to Tebowing.com. I think it's hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious, and uh, yeah, you got to go to the site because there's <laughs> some hilarious pictures of where people are doing this, so it's uh, it's well worth a visit. But I mean, this guy, look at this guy. He's a, he's a cult figure. They in, Literally in, in Denver, they call him the Mile High Messiah, and say what you want about him. Love him, hate him. People talk about Tim Tebow. A lot of thank yous on the show this week. Tom Haberstroh from ESPN.com, Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports. Death to the BCS, new and updated version of Death to the BCS. Go out and get that today. You can get it on Amazon.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com. Have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at SB Radio. Griggs is at BGrizzle22. Have a happy Halloween. Hope you have fun. Watch some uh, scary movies. Trick or treat with the kids. I'll be out with my daughter. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 